I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. I'm Lynette Louise, otherwise known as The Brain Broad, and you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. Don't forget to stay to the very end of the show where I'm going to do Stories from the Road. And today, today we're actually going to remember to do, okay, 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 the great guest giveaway, but it'll be short because today's front-end guest is so fantastic. I'm thrilled to have him here, as I'm always thrilled because I wouldn't have someone here that I wasn't thrilled about. But I'm especially thrilled, as I always am. No, I'm especially thrilled to have Michael here. But without telling you who he is, I want to tell you how I know about him. I went to a seminar because I am really bad at selling. Speaking of which, I forgot to tell you every single time I did the show, my websites, I never tell you. So here they are brainbody.net. So if you want to know about autism, if you want to get help, if you need neurofeedback, if you need play therapy, that's how you find me, brainbody.net. And if you want uh, me to speak or come and do stand-up comedy, for goodness sake, that's always fun, or any of that stuff, go to lynettelouise.com. And actually, there are links so you can find me either way. There you go. I'm becoming a better seller already. And that is telling you that what they're doing must be working. So I went to a seminar, and I was there, and I heard Michael speak, and I bought his home study course because he was talking about subconscious influence. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm missing something. I'm forgetting to, to influence people to do the thing that I know will help them. I know that my, my books help. I, I know that if you go and you get Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism, it's going to change your life. And I know that if you get the wing maker, it'll keep you motivated. So I know that my books help, but I'm not telling people about them. So I go to this seminar, and I hear Michael speak, and I think, subconscious influence, how great is that? But here's the part I didn't expect. I, I bought his, his seminar, which is coming up soon, and I got his home study course. And I'm listening to his home study course, and he's talking, and I'm going, bing. And he's talking again. I'm going, bing, the light bulbs are just going off. Because everything he's saying is what I'm already teaching, but applying to autism and not to marketing. And one of the challenges that I see in the world is that people don't generalize enough when there's a label. So the second there's a label, they don't, they don't see the human being. They don't see that there's so much sameness in this person that we can, uh, we can be doing the same kind of stuff for them that we do for each other. And in my case, I didn't generalize in the other direction. I didn't generalize what I was doing with the autistic people for my, my parents, my audience, and all of that. So here we are. We're going to play generalization games today. We're going to start off by getting to know Michael a little bit so you know who he is. And I want you to get his home study course because it's fantastic. After we've talked, you'll know why. Uh, 
Um, it, I don't care if you don't want to sell something. This is for you to be better at living with your child, your husband, the teachers. It's going to be great. Trust me. Um, so who is Michael? He's a best-selling author, business coach, success coach, and international speaker. He's got impressive credentials. He's got loads of experience. He's helped more than 100,000 people around the world learn to use the power of the mind to turn off autopilot, take a hold of controls, and create the life of their dreams. So he's a certified master trainer of neuro-linguistic programming. You may have heard of that called NLP. Lots of people talk about it. Um, and if you haven't, we're about to introduce you to it. He's a certified master success coach, and I believe he's also a hypnotherapist. Um, he's fantastic. His home study course is totally, totally generalizable into the world that I want it generalized into, which is empowering parents to be better at working with their autistic children. I'm going to create something called 101 Ways to Make Raising Autism Easy, and it actually is. So with no further – oh, I guess you would probably like to know his last name. That's always good. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Stevenson. It's not like Michael's a common name, so that's okay. <laughs> well, Stevenson's pretty common, dude. That's probably not going to. Yeah. Actually, actually, my audience, Michael, they're very in on. I have a, a name issue. It's one of the parts of my brain that I'm healing. So I was so busy saying your first name, I forgot to, to stick in your last name. But I, I'll learn that at the live seminar. I'll learn to be more focused on that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Of course. So, Michael, you have a, a real history in life. Like you, it's not like you just were born with a silver spoon, and and you know, someone said, "Here, we're millionaires. Here, let's make your life easy. Here, what do you want to take? How do you want your life to shape up?" And I think for my listeners, it might be best to just give them an overview of your story. Let's start there. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, most people see me now and they, they see where I am and the, the success that I have in my life and the fulfillment. And um, I think a lot of people, a lot of times when we see people who are successful, we just assume that, um, you know, they might have just been dealt the right hand of cards. And we just didn't get that hand of cards dealt, so there's probably nothing for us to do. And um, that that definitely wasn't the case for me. Uh, when I was born, uh, I had a pretty challenging childhood, um, as as you heard last time that I spoke, um, starting off with the fact that when I was born, my mother was only 14 years old, um, which <laughs> I think in and of itself would be a challenge, uh, you know, a child raising a child. Um, I can remember by the time I was about six or seven years old, I felt like I was already playing the parent role. But um, to make matters worse, my mom had a vicious personality disorder as well, called borderline personality disorder. And, um, you know, if anybody out there has ever had a family member, uh, particularly, that, that has borderline, you know, it's it's vicious. Um, and they, they tend to turn on the people who they're closest to. And uh, and they tend to be angels to the people who are not close to them. So everybody in the world thinks they're the greatest person in the world except the people who know them the best. And um, so I had a real challenging kind of a, a rocky upbringing. Um, by the time that I was about three years old, my mom decided she didn't like my grandparents' rules because, uh, you know, she, we were living with my grandparents, of course. She was only 14 when she had me. And um, so, you know, at the ripe old age of 17, she decided she was going to marry her boyfriend, and, and we were moving to St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember remember a lot of, um, you know, looking back on it, I guess I didn't realize that there was any different kind of a way to live in the world. But, you know, looking back on it now, we, we were really, really poor. Um, we lived in a little tiny town outside of St. Louis, Missouri in a single-wide trailer, um, 
you know, we had uh, lunch assistance, uh, you know, the, the assistant uh, money that was given to us for lunch because my parents were so poor. I remember they used to argue about money constantly. And uh, I remember hearing them once yelling at each other and saying that they combined made less than $19,000 a year. Um, and so times were tight. We had child protective services called several times. And I was always coached on, you know, if they say this, here's how to respond. If they ask if you're hungry, you tell them you've eaten. If they ask what you've eaten, here's what you say. Um, you know, and kind of coach through that whole process of uh, what to say when Child Protective Services showed up. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty challenging time. Um, I, I just remember a lot of instability at that time. Uh, so, when yeah. I was nine years oh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just, just to give people a sense, personality, um, borderline personality disorder, you're right, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, can you give a, a, an example of how – borderline personality disorder affected your mom that gives us a picture yeah you know um i i would say two of the most extreme kind of uh symptoms of it are number one just a really extreme lack of boundaries um and and as bad as that is in almost all the relationships with the borderline when it's when you're a child of a borderline um it's quite a bit different the child is not allowed to have an individualistic thought if you think differently than the parent, um, you know, there's there's often uh, heck to pay, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and heck, heck so, to pay yeah. because we... <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say you... hell because I can't stand it. Okay, oh, okay. go on. <laughs> right, yeah, hell to pay. So, but yeah, you know, and, and I can remember, um, you know, wild mood swings. You know, one moment she would be uh, happy, and then the next moment, and there was a particular look on my mom's face that was terrifying to me. And and she would just switch into this this other almost like another personality, but this just mood swings back and forth. And and one of the other real big symptoms of borderline is is that they tend to take people in their life and and move them back and forth between idealizing them and demonizing them. And so I would go back and forth on a sometimes daily or hourly basis between being the best child in the world. Oh, my God, my son, he's amazing, and he's so smart, and he's so talented, and then you're completely worthless. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything, and just completely back and forth. Um, if anybody's ever seen the movie, um, oh, uh, Mommy Dearest. Yep. Um, you know, that that is a perfect picture of a borderline mother right there. And, and I, I wouldn't say my mom was ex- as extreme as that. And thankfully, my mother and I, you know, when, when, we, when I grew up, I almost said we grew up, uh, when I grew up, I did have a, a better relationship with her as an adult when I learned how to hold my own boundaries. But um, times when I was a child were very, very tumultuous. And it's funny because I, I, you know, I realized as an adult that I had learned to grow up as a child. Um, I had learned to function in my life looking through the eyes of someone else. Um, because my mom was so unpredictable, because she was so volatile, I was always trying to look at myself through her eyes and adjusting my behavior based on what I thought she was going to be, you know, how she was going to react. So, you know, everything that I did was planned around her moods and her, you know, what she was doing at the time. And um, and, and I actually grew up with that behavior in relationships and, and had, a, um, for a good chunk of my adult relationships, very... Uh, codependent kind of relationships where I was always being people pleaser. I was always doing far beyond what is reasonable in order to, you know, appease people and to gain friendship and love. And, and um, those patterns really played out until my late twenties until I started to learn neuro-linguistic programming. I started to learn how the subconscious mind works. And, um, and, and even through some, some of my own personal relationships, 
um, I, I had somebody recommend that I go to uh, Al-Anon, which if you know anything about Al-Anon, it's a 12-step program for people who are related to alcoholics or uh, related to a drug addict. And they, they sort of teach you how to have boundaries and how do you uh, have a healthy relationship. I, I learned a lot from that. Um, the, the combination of those two things, neuro-linguistic programming and, and um, you know, the boundaries that I learned from there really helped me have the amazing functional relationships that I have today. Okay, so let's. There's a couple of things because because we're a have a time thing. I have to sort of jump you into subjects. I want to make sure we don't miss. One is yeah. um, just to say you did grow up together. If she was 14 when you had her, yeah. when she had yeah. you, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. So you ended up homeless at one point, and your mom died of cancer. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, you know, I had a my my tumultuation. I guess is <laughs> probably not a word. Tumult. Uh, didn't end, you know, we had a major disaster at nine years old that uh, we lost everything we owned. We ended up moving back in with my grandparents in California and, um, you know, kind of went through the next five or six years just being dragged around. Uh, from we, we moved every six months or so, depending on when my mom lost a job or broke up with a boyfriend. And um, by the time I was 19 years old, I just ended up angry and I was making a lot of impulsive decisions and I was, I was um, hurting my family relationships and my friendships and, and ultimately ended up... Um, you know, kind of running away from my decisions. And uh, I couch surfed for about six weeks, uh, as long as my friend's mothers would let me sleep on their couch, which was usually about three or four days, <laughs> and uh, finally ran out of couches. And I ended up, uh, you know, one night just sitting on a park bench because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And I remember thinking it was just going to be for one night, you know, that I would figure something out the next day or whatever. And, and uh, the next day I didn't have anywhere else to go then. And, and uh, all in all, I ended up spending six months uh, homeless, sleeping on a park bench in Tuscan, California. And um, I'll tell you, one of the biggest growth experiences in my life, you know, it it's, uh, stretches you to unimaginable means to, to be in a situation like that. Yeah. I'm sure you learned a lot of things, uh, not necessarily things you needed to know, but... So. <laughs> not at that point, but I'll tell you, you know, it, it all, I, I'm a firm believer that the challenges in your life are there for a reason. Um, and, you know, I look back on it now and realize that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, you know, empowering people all around the world and, and bringing people this message had I not gone through those things. So I'm grateful for it. Or you'd have, or you'd have done it different. I think, I think that um, I oscillate between believing what you just said and or believing that there are two kinds of people, the ones that let the challenges beat them and the ones that go, okay, I have these challenges. What can I make? How do I make them work for me? You know, either way, either way, it's better to 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 find the upswing than to stay falling down that spiral of negativity and and misery. So, okay, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, I'm going to get you to describe for people who don't know what NLP is. Just a real short hit on what that is. And then we're going to play this game where I say, okay, in your home study course you mentioned this, and I I noticed that. And that's how we're going to help you folks know why he's here on an autism-related show, because it actually is going to fit. I promise, I promise, I always make it work. Okay, but just to remember, you are listening to a new spin on autism, Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as The Brain Broad. Today we're listening with, to Michael Stevenson. His website is 
www.transformdestiny.com, and that's what he does. He helps you transform destiny. I advise getting the home study course, if at all possible, and anything else you might be able to do. Um, All right, don't forget, I have books. I have books and websites, so we're going to talk about me because I keep forgetting to. All right, (laughs) I am brainbody.net and lynettelouise.com. I have a book called Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism, and guess what? It really is a real-life guide. You really should grab it. Uh, It talks about how I did it eight times over. So, I mean, come on. If you adopted as many kids as me, you'd have some advice to share, too. I think you should grab it. Um, All right. So, remember to stay to the very end of the show where we will do Stories from the Road. And I'll take it and wrap it all together and make it make sense and land you in a moment of motivation. I promise. And we will have the okay, 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 great guest giveaway. So hang on after Michael because there's going to be somebody who is actually only in the field of autism. I had to do that just to make sure that nobody was annoyed with me. All right, so Michael Stevenson of Transform Your Destiny or just Transform Destiny. Give us a hit on what NLP is. Well, NLP is uh, neuro-linguistic programming, which is a big fancy $5 word, which basically means the programming language of your mind. Um, you know, there's, there's really, you know, there's, there's a form of psychology, the, the field of psychology, which we call capital P psychology, which really for the last 150 years has spent a, a large portion of their research on what causes illness and what causes disorder. Um, NLP is a little bit of a different kind of psychology because rather than focusing on what the problem is, we focus on solutions. And so we've spent the better part of 40 years in the field of neurolinguistic programming studying excellence studying things like, you know, how do people, for instance, uh, improve their brain function? How do people uh, create success in their life? How do people create wealth in their life? I mean, they've even studied uh, Olympic athletes and salespeople and uh, great communicators. It really is a field of modeling, but it goes deeper than just watching a person. It really goes into what's going on inside a person's mind which we can then teach to other people to get the same results. And, uh, and that's really what it comes down to, understanding the subconscious mind to such an extent that you don't feel like you're um, a slave to it. Because I know a lot of times we have things like habits, like I had a 14-year, three-pack-a-day smoking habit. I was hopelessly addicted to cigarettes, and I didn't think that I could ever quit until I learned how to interface with my subconscious mind. And I literally woke up one morning and never had another cigarette again. And that was almost 16 years ago now. Yeah, and that's way cool, by the way. Um, And, you know, the idea of studying something that – studying a healthy brain as a successful person as opposed to a broken person, um, it's counter to what science normally does. And it's so foolish to be always only studying what's broken because if you don't study first what's working, how can you have a comparative – just really, um, it's really beautiful. So let's let's get into how this applies to autism in your course. All right. I hope you know your course well because we're going to hit on it. I didn't warn him and tell him the questions. So, <laughs> so there's a couple of things I thought you know I could actually do almost everything you said and break it down. As thinking of using your course as a template and just talking autism. So I'm going to hit on a few. One is rapport. So I'll tell you why. With autism, there's a di- there's different approaches. You know, like for example, there's a thing called applied behavioral analysis, and and they don't really try to get rapport. They just go ahead and and tell the child, no, you have to do it this way, and we'll give you a reward if you do. 
And then there's the far end of that spectrum, which would be, say, a Sunrise program, where it's all about rapport. It's all about connecting and, and doing what the, other, what the child is doing, and they call it joining. Yeah. And what I loved was hearing you talk about this thing that I teach people, which is how to take joining and chain it. So we're going to start with the rapport, which is joining, and, and, ex- and explain it in normal person's language because – when people hear a label like autism, they stop thinking humanism <laughs> and start right. thinking, oh, a different brain, therefore we have to have a different word, a different way, you can't use normal stuff. But in fact, everything you said is something that I do with the, in, when I'm playing with an autistic person. So tell them what rapport is. Well, I mean, the rapport, really, when it comes down to it, the definition of the word is a sense of liking. Um, it's sort of like a momentary bond that you can create with someone um, it's not necessarily liking somebody because that takes time. You know, it takes time to get to know a person, to get to know their values and their personality, to see if they're a match for you on a friendship level or any other level. But there's, you know, if you've ever walked up to somebody and been introduced and for, for whatever reason you shake a person's hand and inside your head you go, I'm going to like this person. And you don't know why you're going to like them. It's just an instantaneous feeling. That's the feeling of rapport that we talk about in the field of NLP. Does that, that give you a good enough definition? That's awesome. Now, one of the things that you talked about was one of the ways to get rapport is to do similar body language, and that yeah. is what joining is. So talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, when they studied uh, one of the world's greatest psychotherapists ever, a uh, psychiatrist named Dr. Milton Erickson, um, they found that Erickson was able to work with patients that, were, that other therapists would call resistant um, so, you know, they may have therapists, maybe a patient saw a therapist three or four times and they were being resistant. They weren't doing what they were told. Well, this patient would go to Milton Erickson and suddenly in the first session, they would just open up. They would open up to him. They would trust him. They would tell him things they wouldn't have told the other therapist. It, Milton would even get people to do crazy tasks on their first visit, like climbing up to the top of a mountain and coming back down again or going on crazy road trips. And, and he would get people to do these wild things. And in the field of NLP, when they first went to go study him, one of the things they found was that he was very subtly doing what we call mirroring and matching people. So when a person would sit down, if they would cross their legs when they sat down, he would cross his legs. If they would tilt their head while they were listening to him, he would tilt his head the same, either the same direction or the opposite direction. And that's the only difference between what we call matching and mirroring. But either way, he was subtly adopting the physiology of the other person, in other words, the body language, um, how they sit, how they, you know, whether they lean forward or not, he would adopt their tone of voice um, and, and possibly even uh, an accent, slight, very slight accent, and, um, and he would also use the same words that they would use. So, you know, the funny thing is I tell this to people all the time, which is that we all know how to do this. Anytime you try to, uh, anytime you meet a five-year-old for the first time and you want that five-year-old to like you, what do you do? You get down on the floor with them and you play blocks or dollies or whatever, and you speak the same language. But for some reason, we forget to do this a lot of times with adults. We think that adults should act our way and that we shouldn't be flexible anymore. But, you know, it's so powerful um, because – and here's what Milton Erickson said. Milton said that without rapport, virtually nothing is possible. But with rapport, almost anything is possible in terms of communicating with people. I love that because that's exactly why everybody calls me a whisperer with autism, because Mm. I do rapport. 
They don't yeah. just mimic. So people get confused. They think that mimicking or copying is what we're talking about, and then the kids push you away. But I actually get in, do what they do in a way where I embrace it and love it and try to find out who they are via their mannerisms. It has and to be so, organic. Yeah. Yes, and so people watching they're like i don't want to act like that that's that's weird but the way you explain it because it's what we use the word rapport goes everywhere the word mm-hmm. joining sounds like a therapy but the word right. rapport is oh oh so you want me to go in and build rapport oh, oh i know how to do that so you <laughs> see i think it's easier to generalize and teach and I, i'm thrilled to have listened to your home today program it's really helping okay so let's happy. move on yeah it's awesome okay so now when you're working with autism, one of the this this by the way is translatable to all brain disorders, all things really, but but we're talking autism today. So when you're working with autism, once you're teaching, you have to teach a step at a time. So you build a rapport and you chain. Talk about chaining. <laughs> yeah, chaining is so powerful. Um, and and the example I always use in class is this. I always tell people think of a problem. I realize we don't have a lot of time, so I can't stretch it out. But think of a problem that you have in your life. Um, whatever that problem is, and just contemplate it for a moment and notice how it feels like a problem. Well, if you were to clear the screen inside of your mind and if you were to change the label that you give it, and instead of calling it a problem, call it a challenge. Um, I don't call things in my life problems ever. I have challenges in my life. Notice what happens when you use that word challenge and how it changes the way that you feel about that situation in your life. One makes you want to rise up and the other makes you feel defeated. It's very interesting. That's right. Yeah, a problem brings your energy down. It sticks you. When you have a challenge, you want to rise up and overcome it. Well, now clear the screen again, and I want you to take that same situation in life, but instead of calling it a challenge, I want you to call it an opportunity. And think about that. Think about how different this situation in life is now. It literally changes the reality of it simply by calling it an opportunity now. What does an opportunity do for you? It brings you benefits. Right? It's, it's something you're going to gain from, something you're going to grow from. Now, you know, what we did there in a linguistic form, in a language form, is we just chained. Because if I told you, hey, that problem that you have in life, just think of it like an opportunity. You would just think I was some optimistic, you know, weirdo. And, and there's no way that I'd be able to take you from problem to opportunity. It's too big of a jump. The human mind can't go from, a, from sad to happy, for instance, instantly. You can't go from mad to compassionate. We need to find the middle grounds and, and do and what we call an NLP, chunking down. So, you know, one of the things I tell people in NLP is you can accomplish any goal you want, any goal, and I don't care whether it's teaching an autistic child or making a million dollars. You can accomplish any goal if you chunk it down into small enough pieces and then, like you said, just chain those pieces together. You know, there's a process, for instance, to becoming a millionaire. That's what uh, Napoleon Hill spent 20 years of his life figuring out. He just went and studied other millionaires, found the, the big picture, and then chunked it down into small steps and taught people the steps. And it's, it's so important, I think not just for autistic children, but for um, all of us to apply in our life. Because one of the reasons, I think, why we often feel defeated by things in our life is because they seem too big. And if we were to just take that big, ugly problem and to chunk it down into smaller steps and see it as an opportunity, then we can overcome anything in our lives. 
And you say something that, that I've been saying for years, which is it's not right for us to stand in our spot and say, hey, you, you, you special needs person, get over here and be like me. You have to go right. over where they are <laughs> and yeah. get the rapport, and then a step at a time, bring them closer and closer to a place of neurotypical evolution. So I'm going to now take your example, which, by the way, I loved how fast your example is, because I find this a fast process as long as you do all the steps. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to make it autistic, okay, or make it a, an example for autism. So I go in the room, and, I, and I'm acting like the child, and I'm saying, hey, this is really cool. I like the way we're, you know, jumping up and down. It makes me feel all excited, and they're not making <laughs> eye contact, um, and they're looking at the floor, and I say, maybe I can do my jumping jacks on the floor. And I lay down on the floor, and I start doing the same motion on the floor, and they think it's funny, but their eyes are already on the floor, so it's easy for them to see me. And then I go, wow, I sure love your eyes looking at me like that. That's so awesome. I wonder if your eyes can look at me over here, or maybe I just Mm. go halfway and then say, oh, man, I miss your eyes. I come back down on the floor and try again. Before you know it, no matter where I am, if I say, I'm missing your eyes, they just give me their looks and they they have no problem, and we move on to talking. And that's how Mm. simple chaining is with autism. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, now we're going to do the last of the three. I just chose three because we don't have time. We could do them all, but we're going to do the last (laughs) of the three. Yeah. All right. When I was raising my kids, so I did adopt a bunch of um, autistic kids, and I was Mm -hmm. trying to explain to people what I was figuring out. So I had to invent my own language for describing what I was doing. And I wasn't trained at that point, so I wasn't uh, taught the science words or the therapy words. So (laughs) I had a thing I kept explaining, which was push-pull. And I say, no, 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 you have to push them and pull them. And so in the world of autism, they've sort of separated. There's the people who pull, as in engage, invite change, um, and hope that the, the child will follow. And there's the people who push change, they force change, and they say you have to do it this way and put your hands down and sit in this chair. But mm-hmm. what I discovered was that every, every one of my kids was different. Some needed more push and some needed more pull. Um, but they all needed kind of a, a mixture of both because they were challenged. But we don't have to go to the challenge. We, I just want you to talk about, you have different words for this. But the concept of how some people like negative reinforcements and some people like positive reinforcements can clear up the confusion parents have when they learn a therapy and it doesn't work on their child. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of generalizations about this over the years. Um, It's the whole metaphor of the carrot versus the stick, you know, Mm -hmm. and and the, the metaphor is if you had a donkey, how do you get a donkey to start moving? Do you dangle a carrot in front of its Face, which would be what we call a toward motivation because the donkey would want to move toward it, or would you whack the donkey on the behind with a stick, in which case the donkey would want to avoid pain and would move forward in the avoidance, what we call it a way motivation. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's so much um, generalization about this. I've heard it said over and over again that the number one defining, you know, motivation of humans is that we avoid pain. So you should always use pain to motivate people. I've heard that said in sales trainings. I've heard it said in motivational trainings. And i got to tell you, what I've, my experience in the field of NLP is that that's completely false. Um, like you said, everybody has a unique personality type that will require, um, through the interactions, will require either some toward or some away or a mixture of both. And um, I'll tell you, with my son, um, you know, it, it was very difficult finding out what his mixture was. <laughs> it, took, it took a lot of trial and error. 
But, um, you know, interestingly enough, my mother um, was almost completely in a way from motivated person. My mother was always trying to um, shame me and always trying to, to say things to make me want to move away from being a bad person toward being a good person. But um, it was just overdone. And I think, like you said, in my experience, especially when it comes with, you know, communication and with influence and persuasion, is that most people need both. We call it a propulsion system. When you combine both away from and toward motivation, it tends to actually propel people more than either individual one. Um, so when I work with parents and, I, and I'm teaching parents how to set boundaries with their children, you know, one of the things that I tell them is, is if for every chore, for instance, there needs to be both a reward and a consequence. If you're the kind of person like my mom was that was always going around telling me the consequences of not doing something, then that didn't work for me. You know, and, and uh, I'm a firm believer, too, that you get what you focus on. So if I was always focusing on the consequence, then I was probably going to create that in my life, uh, which I did quite often. Um, you know, so I think it really is important, um, you know, for any parent to, you know, bring those two together. Rewards and consequences have to be used in concert, and it actually creates a very powerful motivation for most people. But like you said, the trick is finding out that kind of balance. Because some kids are more rewarded by like a gold star on their homework, whereas other kids are, um, they're more motivated by not getting an F. And so there's that difference between moving towards something they want or moving away something they do, from something they don't want. And one is not better than the other. It's about figuring out your kid. Um, I mean, we could go on and on. That brings to mind, you know, the introvert, extrovert stuff and all that. Maybe we'll do it yeah. again another time if you'd mm -hmm. be willing because it's really your language is such that um, you're not talking inside the ther the boundaries, the box of the therapeutic model that everybody's gotten sort of confused by or limited by. And so I like that we're breaking that out, and, and it's easier, I hope. I'm hoping. This is my theory, that we are helping people to generalize, to uh, gain skills that will help them with the teachers, that will help them with the, you know, their, their neurotypical kids, that will help them with their special kid, help them with their spouse. So it, our time is up, but I want oh. you to go ahead and plug and Anything you want to plug because your stuff's great, and I also you know tell people how they can get in touch with you if I didn't cover it already, or just say it again. And then also one last thing that you might want to share. It's your it's your platform. Take it. Well, thank you. Um, the main website that people can find uh, our stuff at, as you know, we're very diverse. We teach um, a lot of different life skills. Uh, the main website is www.transformdestiny.com. And uh, the course that you took is the course called The Subconscious, uh, Secrets of Subconscious Influence, and that one is on the, the website as well. Um, and it, uh, you know, it is a course about influence and persuasion, but like you said, it's not just about sales. A lot of business people get it because they want to close more sales, but um, there really is an emphasis on using it everywhere in your life, including with your children and your spouse and, and uh, your bosses and, you know, just having excellent communication everywhere in life. Um, if I could leave you with one thing, um, you know, my son, uh, my son is now almost 21 years old and uh, has very uh, high symptoms of Asperger's. So I know not the same as autism, but some similar uh, challenges in those cases. And, and one of the things that I found most powerful with him when I was raising him was to just eliminate the word no from language. Um, and what I mean by that is that the subconscious mind does not process negatives. Your subconscious mind works much more on pictures, sounds, and feelings. Whatever, whatever pictures you're holding in your mind, you will produce that behavior. 
So once I learned this and I realized that the subconscious, for, for example, when I say don't think about eating an Oreo cookie. <laughs> now I just thought about eating an Oreo cookie. You can't not. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can feel it. You can see it in your mind, and now you want one. And, and, and if you didn't have enough willpower, you'd probably eat one. And the thing is that our children don't have a ton of willpower. They really are walking subconscious minds, developmentally speaking, until they're almost eight years old. And so because we can't process the don't, when I say don't eat, think of eating an Oreo cookie, you can't process the don't. If you just eliminate negative language from your, from your language, from your um, you know, communication with your children, they'll actually obey you better. So instead of saying, Johnny, don't be loud, say, Johnny, come over here, sit down and be quiet. Instead of saying, you know, Julie, don't leave your toys out, say, Julie, pick up your toys and put them in the toy box. And it's kind of the difference between that away and toward motivation, but if you're always telling your children what to do rather than what not to do, then um, I got phenomenal results with that, and the parents that I've taught over the years have gotten great results with that as well. Oh, absolutely. A directive is always easier to understand, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Okay. You've been fantastic. What a great guest. No matter, I, I'm just going to do this again. Thank you so Thank you. much for being here. I do have to run and, and talk to the next person, but this is Michael Stevenson, and he's fantastic. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. That was Michael Stevenson of Transform Destiny. Wasn't he cool? No matter what I threw at him, he had a great answer and a fully informative, fast-talking guy he is. If you wanted to fit it all in. Um, and I don't blame him. There's so much to say. Not saying no. He was talking about don't say no, right? Take it out of your language. So I want to make a point here. Not saying no does not mean do not have boundaries. And being the person who's being engaging and pulling and inviting change does not mean do not have boundaries. A lot of time people hear um, me talk about, you know, loving the kids and playing with them and inviting them to be different. I had loads of boundaries with my kids. In fact, I was super, super strict. But I was strict in different places than everybody else. So if you want to know about that, then you will want to check out Making Raising Autism Easy. And that's almost done, so I'll let you know when it's available. Um, All right, so my websites, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm just never going to stop doing this now. My websites are lynettelouise.com for speaking, and if you want me to come and play and teach you about neurofeedback and change your life, that is brainbody.net. But you can really get me from either one. It will be fine. It's just they, they highlight different things on each one. Okay, 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 okay. It is time for the great guest giveaway. And I know, I know, I know you've been missing that. So I made sure to put one in. Actually, the real reason that we're doing that today is because I went cross-discipline. We're generalizing. And I was really afraid it wouldn't work. So I thought, ooh, we better stick somebody who's all about autism, at least in the great guest giveaway in case it didn't work. Lucky you. Not only did it work and you got really fantastic tips from Michael Stevenson, but you're about to hear about the Engage program. Oh, wow, and that's all about autism, and it's going to be great. So uh, we're going to talk with Pam Smith, who's the co-creator of the Engage program. Okay, check this out. She said for me to tell you of mundupato.com. Now, I don't even know how to say that. I probably messed it up. So apparently if you're Spanish, you know that it means world duck. So worldduck.com in Spanish. Uh, she can clear that up. So she has a master's in education and has been, she's spent 20 years working with autism and supporting their families. Loads of experience. Fantastic. We're real excited. Welcome, Pam. What the heck is the Engage program? 
Thank you so much for having me, Lynette. It's great to be here um, and great to talk about the Engage program. Uh, the Engage program it has several components, but we have a course that is a professional development but also could be used by parents or any therapist, teacher. It's an online uh, program that supports the instructor to uh, know how to support the group in any, any group setting. So when a student, you know, we have all these students that have individualized education plans and they have private home programs for themselves, but then they end up going out in the world and they're in a group. They're in a group, whether it be a simple group where they're, you know, in line at the store or they're on the bus, but they get taught so often as an individual. But yet they also get taught in a group. But the teacher is often not supported to know how to manage that group. And they often have a wide variety of abilities. It is a spectrum. We have a, a lot of kids on all different sides of the spectrum sitting in the same room together sometimes or sitting in the same supported environment for swimming lessons or whatever it might be. And what the Engage program does is it really helps the teacher understand what the, the, the basics that everyone needs in order for the group to function better, in order for every student to contribute and be responsible to that group. And so what we want to try and do is really inform the instructor the things that they can do that everyone can be more successful in the group. And our online professional development program is available via Mundo Pato, M-U-N-D-O-P-A-T-O, Mundo Pato, World Duck. Um, and our Engage program is available for you there, and we're so excited to also share with your listeners the e-book, which gives a lot of background of our philosophy. The, some of the more basic, the things that are underlying a, a group dynamic, that's how everyone was going to be able to then move forward and do reading, writing, and arithmetic, because we did want them to get to that place, but there were so many unwritten rules that no one had really ever taught them, um, and they didn't know them. They hadn't picked up on them, and so we spent a lot of time developing a, this program, and it's a developmental process for the group to have a better understanding of how they can function together. It's so interesting to me. Now, I, I'm completely baffled on how you can um, have a web-based business that teaches how to work with a group uh, when each of the individuals within the group are going to be so different. Please explain how that plays out. Sure. I'd be happy to. So. The, our, our course is online. It's a, a you know it's a self-paced, self-directed professional development course. So the instructor of the situation would take the course and have a better understanding of how they how they should set up the environment, how they should communicate, what the priorities should be. So how they're gonna which things come first and which things come later. Um, what we don't need to work on right away. What we do need to work on right away for for the better group functioning. But what we did is we really, what we, what we noticed is that we might have a student who was functioning, you know, was, would, could test at gifted and talented in reading and math um, alongside a student who might be nonverbal and have significant cognitive delay. But yet at the same time, both of them might struggle with understanding that they needed to move out of the way when someone was walking towards them. Both of them needed to understand that they had a responsibility to clean up their mess um, from the lunch table before it was time for the class to move outside. Both of them needed to understand that um, they had to occupy themselves and do it safely and in an appropriate way when the teacher was talking to someone else. 
um, that they couldn't have undivided attention from the instructor at all times and that they needed to be able to safely explore the environment, explore the materials, explore their information, um, and also you know, kind of maintain that exploration even though they weren't being guided every single second by the instructor. And we realized that it really didn't matter what, what your verbal capacity was at, that, at those basic levels, at, the, at what your cognitive level was. What you needed to understand was how to interact with another person and take your part of the responsibility and not have to be told how to do all of those things. So the instructor, if, if you're in a classroom with eight other, with eight students and one instructor, you know, it simply, it's, it's unsustainable that that, that that instructor would individually tell every single person what to do every single second. We're good at instructors, but it's, that's, really, that's really challenging. And so what we realized that we needed to do is help the students take that responsibility, and they absolutely took it and ran with it, and they felt so empowered as a result. They that's, realized... Okay, so this, this sounds... I'm going to tell, I got to cut in because I don't get it. So this sounds like a wonderful idea, but I can't, I'm having trouble imagining how it plays out. So I'm an instructor. I've got a classroom full of people. Um, I've got some problems coordinating their behavior. So I take your course. Am I right so far? Yes. Okay, so far, so, so good. I take, so I take your course. And your course is going to help me to figure out how to return the onus back to the child. Yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. I mean, that, that needs to happen. That needs to happen. It needs to happen a lot. As a matter of fact, one of the things, I'll just give you a really quick example of the whole onus thing. Um, I have a son who's still really challenged and trying to, you know, work with lots of different things like language. And... Um, that I got a new cleaning lady, which is a great luxury for me. I don't usually have one, so it's really great. So she, she came over, and uh, he was sitting on a chair, and she patted his back and, to say hello, and he got up and walked away. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean – I'm like, don't take responsibility for his behavior. He's the one that walked away. He can say to you, don't touch me. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. what you're talking about, right? It's 100% what I'm talking about. And, and, and what ends up happening in, you know, when, when students are one-on-one, -on -one, it becomes really easy for the more capable person to compensate, whether they mean to or not. The most well-meaning people uh, still can challenge, but still they're going to fill in some of the blanks just because they, are, they do that, and that's, that's what people do. They fill in the blanks for other people. But when you have a group, it becomes harder and harder to fill in the blanks, and the student must rise to the the occasion and our program really says to the to the instructor hey this is what we want this is what we want look at those results that you're going to get you're going to get a student who's more um who's better autonomous more autonomous I mean, more autonomous exactly more responsible to the group that has i mean i've seen kids who are passive you know fight for a marker i've seen kids who you know don't consistently communicate speak up above a, a, a din or press the the button on their talker so that they could get someone's attention because everybody else was talking and they were, hey, I want some water, I want to go to the bathroom, whatever it is, and they're punching away because it's a busy, dynamic environment in, in all the good ways. And the, the Engage program really says to the instructor, no, these are important celebrating moments. We don't want to skip past them. We don't want to compensate for them. We want to provide the environment that makes them happen. Okay, that sounds awesome. So your ebook would be most appropriate to who? The the professionals or the parents? Um, it tends to be professionals that work with kids in a group. Although parents that have more than one child, 
you end up having a group of kids and you might want to think about exactly that example that you just gave is a perfect one. You know, often parents might get on the housekeeper for that as opposed to saying, no, that's a great opportunity. You, it, you seize that opportunity and help the instructor or help the other adults in that situation, you know, be supportive of your son in that moment for him to be autonomous. But not everybody knows to do that. And so the ebook really kind of sets that framework for anyone. And certainly what we also encourage for parents to read and really get their, their instructors at school or at therapy centers, et cetera, in on the process because, you know, we know that parents are often a, a great driving force behind getting services for their families. Woohoo! Okay, people, if you want to get your hands on this ebook for free, all you do is send me an email at info at brainbody, actually send it to my name, Lynette at brainbody.net. In the subject line, put engage, first person gets a link, free. Um, awesome. Is there one last thing you want to say before we say goodbye? I just want to say um, that it's a very great honor to be here, and I'm so happy about our Engage program. Um, you can find us all at, I'm just going to say that again since it was Spanish, mundopato.com backslash engage. That's really awesome. All right. Thank you, Pam. I really appreciate you. you being here. And that was Pam Smith. Pam Smith of the Engage program. Awesome. So, see, I made sure just in case <laughs> – the, just in case Michael dropped the ball, I made sure that we had something about autism. But here's what's really cool is now you just got this jam-packed show full of awesome stuff and good ideas. And it really set me up for sort of finishing up one of the points that I wanted to talk about with Michael, which is the We, Me Society. He mentions in his home study, uh, the one that I'm doing about you know subconscious influence, he mentions that there's this pendulum that swings. Um, and, and we swing from a me society to a we society, kind of back and forth, we society, me society. And it spans about 80 years to do that full swing. So right now we are sort of cresting in the middle of swinging halfway through a we society. So we're, we're formulating a world where everybody's more about we, 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 we. And that fits because, well, for one thing, um, <laughs> this, this Engage program, she's talking about the group. And I think it's really neat to point out that when I was young, it really was all about doing it yourself, everybody being very very much um, only caring about themselves and themselves and themselves. And then the Internet came along. And with the Internet coming along and the We Society shifting, we have a new opportunity that we never, ever, ever had before. Maybe we've had We Societies before, but we did not have the ability to be a We. We did not have the ability to connect with anyone in the entire world and say, hey, what do we have in common? What is our goal? What is our wish? Let's ignore the politicians. So not to say that we will ignore them, but we can if we wish to. They'll try, and we can you know, thwart them because we have all these young kids who know how to get around things and work their way on the Internet. So we can be a we society at a, at a level that's never happened before. It's kind of interesting when you think about autism being so sort of an isolating disorder, at least that's how many people see it, and yet here we are surrounded by the desire to collect. And so I like pointing that out because I want to create a we society for parents and professionals that are working with challenges in the brain, especially for autism and especially us moms. If we all hold hands and share our stories, we'll come up with some great solutions. 
And to sort of underscore that, just before I say goodbye, it's going to be a short one, but it is time for Stories from the Road. Okay. The stories from today. Well, actually, the test was done before, but I got the results today. So my son, who is minimally verbal and challenged and changing and growing every day, but at the pace of a snail walking, uh, maybe a turtle now, uh, he... He and I went for what's called a quantitative EEG. That's a brainwave test that I work with brainwaves. So I know what our brainwave patterns look like, but not um, in a full cap. So I thought, well, it's really good to get, by full cap, what I mean is there's sensors all over your head, 19 to 22 channels, depending on the setup, and we use 19. So we went to a friend's, and they put all the sensors on, and I thought, well, I better do me first because, Actually, to tell you the truth, I always do me because I'm a little broken, or at least I have been. In fact, every time I do any therapy with my kids, the therapists say to me, um, hey, and we'll do you for free. This has happened always. I remember doing auditory training with my son, and I had to get way in front of everybody else with this emergency plea letter. And uh, the therapist, who is so renowned in it in Montreal, he called me and he said, I read your your letter, and I'm going to put your son next, even though I have to bump somebody. Um, And I'm going to give you it for free. So that sort of gives you an idea. It's been happening and happening and happening. Well... It happened again. (laughs) I did the 19 channel. I did it first so that my son would see all these senses on my head and be comfortable with it. He's done lots of EEG stuff. So he's used to EEGs, just not that many sensors, and not without feedback. He's used to getting feedback that calms him while he's doing it. So this would be different for him, and I wanted to make sure that he saw me first. So we did mine first, and then we followed with his. Here's the really fun part. So... We wait and wait, and um, finally we get the results. And when I got the results literally this morning, so they said to me, all right, so we have these two, and we're going to go through them for you. And I know you didn't ask for this extensive uh, reading of it and printout and everything, and we didn't do that for the DS person, which would be my son's initials. But... um, But we did for you, and we're going to give it to you free because you really need this. So here we are. Here I am, perfectly functional, traveling around the world, helping everybody. And yet when we tested, I had the more broken brain. Now, this is I remember this frustration. I've seen other moms have this frustration. I have a mom that's been on this program before, and... and, um, she talked about how she went and she had her son have a similar test. And when she went for the results, they said, you know, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. Meanwhile, he's smashing his head against the wall and things like that. And she's standing there thinking, well, look at him. Clearly there is. And while I was getting these test results via Skype, I was watching my son circle and pace and circle and pace and, you know, try to ask me for milk and it sounds like moof. And I'm thinking, clearly, there's something bigger wrong with him than with me. Why does why does that fit our show? Well, it fits our show because testing was brought up for the Engage program. And what I want to tell you, parents, what I want to tell you, professionals, is that your tests can trick you. 
Yes, I do have the issues that they showed me. I, I did used to have absent seizure activity. I do have ischemia in my brain. I do have, you know, all the things that they talked about, but I also have fixed them in that I've created other pathways. And so if you compare me to normal, I'm not going to look normal. But if you compare me to me, I'm going to look much improved. And quite frankly, I like me. Not only that, but I help all kinds of people all over the world. My son, on the other hand, who didn't really have much for them to tell about in his brain, is not able to, he's not able to support himself. So you have to take the tests with a grain of salt. You have to take all of them that way. In our society right now, we're moving more and more to the science, not just more and more to the we society, but each of these groups are gathering, and the scientists are part of that. And I know because I'm one of them, I'm in that group, and they're getting tighter and tighter about believing in the data. Even your behaviorists are all about the data, but the data tricks you. Facts trick you. That old saying, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, is true. You can't just look at the data and add it together and get the answer to the story. You have to look at the data, look at the situation, look at the person, use your intuition, trust your energy. You have to look at it all. So if there's a lesson for today, if there's a question and an answer, the question is how do you build rapport and chain somebody from step one all the way to the end, <laughs> from step A to step Z, one step at a time by believing they can do it. And don't let each failed test trick you into thinking they can't. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.